0: I'm Bob Sewell. I'm a lawyer. In fact, I'm a partner at the law firm at Davis Miles McGuire Gardner. I started this podcast because my clients always ask me, is that even legal? I want to discuss on this podcast how the law affects us and changes our daily lives. I hope you enjoy the show. I hope it is meaningful to you, and I hope you learn from it. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Is That Even Legal? I'm your host, Bob Sewell, and on this podcast, we answer the question of what's legal. Today, we're talking about what's legal in privacy law, and our guest, Kay Rourau. Kay, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Bob. Thank you for having me.
0: You are an attorney who specializes in privacy law. You're a professor of law and privacy. You are associate general counsel at a company called TrustArc, which advises other companies about privacy issues and yes. how to comply with privacy issues. And best of all, you are a podcaster just like me.
1: <laughs> I am.
0: And you, your podcast is called Serious Privacy Podcast. Yes. I'm so glad you came on the show because there's so many questions I have about privacy.
1: Which most people usually don't. So let's go for it.
0: (laughs) Everyone, well, everyone agrees that privacy is important in America, right? Oh, yes. I mean, it's it's a founding principle of our democracy. We have the Fourth Amendment. We have, and the Fourth Amendment guarantees us the right to, uh, not have our things searched without a warrant. Right. Our papers are supposed to be private without a warrant. The government has to have permission from a court to go out and seek those things. Our, our, um, our Supreme Court justices have ruled that privacy is sort of imp- impregnated in the Constitution itself.
1: It's a good word.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but. The fact is, in this modern age, We really don't have it.
1: We really don't, which is a little scary because a lot of people keep saying, you know, we don't have privacy, we gave it up. And my thought is we need to reclaim our privacy. People don't understand what privacy means. And there's a lot of different tangents I could go from there. But where I will start is that we assume we have privacy without thinking of all the complexities that we're living in nowadays with big data. And so whereas you might think you have privacy, you really don't, because I think Facebook once advertised that they have, I always confuse whether it's 15,000 or 50,000 uh, different data points on every single person on their platform. Now, I can't even think about 2,000 things on myself, much less 15,000. So that's how we don't have privacy. But we assume we do. And then something happens and we're like, oh, wow, I thought that was private. Yeah. No.
0: You know, I want to talk about a case that recently came out with the Arizona Supreme Court. Right. It's an interesting case. It was the case of the state versus Mixton. Yes. And Mixton's not a nice guy.
1: No, he's involved in pornography. Not a nice guy at all.
0: Yeah, and it's not regular pornography. It's child pornography. Yeah. The the the, most the worst violent. of the worst. Yeah. So, the Tucson police they decide that they're going to go out and search for these predators yes and they go on the web probably the dark web and they find mixton and they realize he's involved in child pornography they go out to his internet service provider an isp yep and they present mixton's uh, IP, ip address, address. And apparently an IP address is what?
1: It's publicly uh, known in most cases. An IP address is automatically assigned to any device or computer that you use. And so everyone has an IP address, although that IP address might actually be shared with other people, just like your house is shared with other people.
0: Okay. So they present this IP address and to Cox, <clears throat> yep. along with a... A subpoena, uh, administrative subpoena, not a warrant. Not a warrant. They don't need to get a warrant. They need, don't need to present evidence. They just need to go to Cox and say, with this subpoena, and say, give me his his yeah, identifying information.
1: Yep. Give me the person that matches this IP address.
0: And they give him telephone number, name, address, address and who knows what else. And then they have a warrant at this point. They go out and they get a warrant, and they seize his computer, and they find all this nasty stuff on his computer, right? Yep,
1: exactly. And so the question that came up in front of the Arizona Supreme Court is, were they allowed to go to Cox, the ISP provider, and actually get the subscriber information that they then combined with other information? And under the Fourth Amendment, you have to have a warrant, as you said, to Mm -hmm. get certain information. There are exceptions to that. And the exceptions usually fall under what's called the third party doctrine, meaning that when you give your information to a third party, a vendor, a bank, a retailer, an internet service provider, you lose your expectation of privacy. Because as an attorney, you know the expectation of privacy is as long as it's between you and maybe one other person, you have an expectation of privacy. Once you share it out to a company that you're buying services from, you don't. So it's called the third-party doctrine, which means since you have no expectation of privacy, they can go to that third party and get your information. A lot of times this comes up with self, uh, cell signal towers. It's mm-hmm. called CSLI, cell signal location information. And cops routinely pull information from cell signal towers because it tracks where you are based on where your cell signal is.
0: But, you know, the, the, the this case... The, the majority essentially held that there was no expectation of privacy. Yes. And that Mr. Mixton could not expect that that IEP address and with his identifying information should remain private. Right. Even though the police had to go to a third party to go get it, We Mixton did not have an expectation right. of privacy. And
1: they say that's why he didn't have an expectation is because it was sitting with a third party. Because third party doctrine, no expectation of privacy. Uh, the problem is, Arizona has a constitutional provision of privacy.
0: Yeah, tell and me about
1: that. So, there are the word privacy is not in the US Constitution anywhere, but there are 11 states who have privacy in their Constitution, one of which just added it like a year ago. Arizona is one that has it. And we had a very deliberate decision-making process when we became a state to put privacy in our Constitution. And so the dissent to this opinion last week, uh, which was by the Chief Justice and the Vice Justice and one of the other leading ones, uh, Bolick, and they say that because of Arizona's increased sense of privacy that was deliberately put in there, to differentiate itself from the United States Constitution of the Fourth Amendment, that we should be held to a higher standard. And therefore, we shouldn't default to the third-party doctrine to allow a subpoena. We should have had a warrant for his private affairs with Cox.
0: You know, this really—I am troubled by this decision. (laughs)
1: Most people should be troubled by this decision. I
0: mean, from both perspectives. One is I don't want— these perverts out there right. trafficking in child porn. I don't want that. Right. And I want the government to be able to root these jerks out quickly.
1: <laughs> quickly and fast, easily. Yes.
0: Easily. On the other hand, this was not a close opinion. No. Uh, th- th- excuse me. This was not a this was a very close opinion, I should say. We had 4 versus 3. So this was this was hotly contested. Yes these justices were conflicted and i would imagine even in the majority they were conflicted themselves yes. and the majority i bet they were conflicted too because they know what this means yeah if the if the minority won we would have a more difficult time rooting out these these villains right and if the, and vice versa
1: If the majority wins, then it's easier for cops to get information on you. Now, here's the thing most people don't realize. When cops are investigating a crime, they may not have it narrowed to a suspect. So they are often pulling information from third-party providers in order to find a list of suspects. So you never know if your information has been provided to a cop or not based on a subpoena for them trying to find a suspect. If there was a crime uh, that occurred in a vicinity where you parked your car, they're probably pulling the information on every car on that block to see who might be a suspect. So your information may very well have been pulled without you ever knowing, because why do they need to tell you? They're not serving it on you. They're going to the company that has the information.
0: One of the things that troubles me about the whole process is the average person. The average person would think that their IP address is relatively private.
1: Most people don't consider IP address to be personal information. Now, you're right. A lot of people would say, well, it's mine. Of course, it's private. But people that work with IP addresses, uh, IT people, engineering people, all of technology people, they say IP address isn't personal information. So therein lies a huge, huge complication in the United States. We don't even know what personal information is.
0: Yes. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, because these... These tech people, they understand what an IP address is, but do I? Do I, right. as, a, as just a measly attorney, understand it? Not no, really. Not
1: really, and attorneys are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> we, we it, Here's the thing. Law firms really do have a reputation of being the worst vendors for privacy because we rely on our confidentiality and attorney privilege. Of course it's private. Right. Well, that has nothing to do with protecting the data. That has to do with attorney-client privilege. That's totally different. Concepts there.
0: Many years ago, we, our law firm was confronted with these types of issues, and our solution was we got to hire someone else.
1: Right. <laughs> and that's exactly
0: what we did. We hired a consultant, and our consultant manages us to this day, manages all our security yep. just because— It is so far beyond us. We have to have that.
1: Well, I'll give you a great example of how privacy can differ around the world. If we're talking about we don't even understand privacy in the U.S., let's talk about globally. Because a lot of the companies you work with are global companies when you look at this. So would you consider your membership in the state bar to be private or public information?
0: Probably public.
1: Because people can go online and look for it. But membership in a professional association is considered sensitive information in Europe and Australia. Oh, that's interesting. Now, your bank account, uh, your routing number and your account number, do you consider those to be sensitive? Yeah. Europe does not. Really? So there you go. So if we can't even decide what is considered sensitive information or personal information or even know what the heck we're talking about, how do you expect the country, the people in the country to understand, and how do you expect judges to to understand. We don't understand privacy. Most people probably think that uh, all of your medical data is protected under HIPAA. It's not? No. Not all doctors are even subject to HIPAA. Tell me about that. Uh, so HIPAA has this requirement in it that you have to engage in one of 11 types of transactions to be subject to HIPAA. Almost all of them relate to health insurance benefits and payment and claims and all of that. If you don't do one of those 11 transactions, you're not subject to HIPAA. So doctors who are doing it for charity or doctors who don't take insurance or doctors who back home in Mississippi, you know, trade it for a jar of pig's blood or something, uh, not subject to HIPAA. Amazing. And a lot of people think it and even people who understand HIPAA and work with HIPAA still think, well, my daughter's nowadays in COVID, my daughter's employer Wants her husband's test results for COVID in order to excuse her from work. Doesn't that violate HIPAA? Well, her employer's not subject to HIPAA. Hmm. So, how can it possibly violate HIPAA?
0: I want to ask you you know, when we think of privacy, we often think about our own personal data, whatever it is. Right. Our, the most, in, at least as Americans, we think about social security numbers, right. passwords.
1: <laughs> credit scores. Yes.
0: Credit card numbers, bank accounts, um, stuff like that. And the thought occurred to me w- several years ago. I was listening to the news and we were have, hearing in the news about data breach after data breach after data breach. And there was company one and that company had a data breach. And I thought, well, I, I, do business with that company, have a debit card through that company. Right. Then there's Company 2, and it, ha- too, had a data breach. I'm like, well, I do business with that, and I have a open line of credit with that company. And we started going through the list. Uh, data the news, breach fatigue. In, in my mind, we it started going through the list, and it, it dawns on me. My information is already out there. Oh, yeah. I'm already exposed. Yes. And... You know, uh, and and sometime later, I end up getting hacked. And okay. it's pretty obvious how they did it. They had my personal information. I don't know how else they could have done it. Right. And at that point, I go on the spree of changing all my passwords and things like this. <laughs> what do we do to protect ourselves?
1: There's a lot of things the average human can do to protect themselves. Um, I kind of like to go back to the, the question we left hanging of, well, what about putting in rules for average people versus rule for criminals. Well, you got to hold the government to one set of rules. And so one of the things you can do to protect yourself is make sure that the government has laws in place that protect you, because that's the first thing to rely on um, if something goes wrong is, is there any protection for you out there? And for most of us, there really isn't. There's really not much protections under law. In most cases, you have to have a harm under privacy in order to seek any kind of Money or payback from a company. And most of us, unlike you, cannot tie a specific harm being hacked back to a specific breach because there's been so many breaches. How how do we possibly know? So what can you do? The first thing is, as I say, multi-factor authentication. Okay. And so a lot of people, that irritates them to have multi-factor authentication. It means that when you log into a site in order to get on, it also sends a code to your cell phone that you have to put in. There's two ways of authenticating. That is the number one way to protect yourself from being hacked. Um, is And people are often being scammed by this because they'll get a call. Uh, this just happened in a news story I read last week. You'll get a call from a company saying, this is Amazon. And it looks like your account might be hacked. I'm going to need you to verify that you still have access to your account. I'm going to send you a code. Read that code out to me. And they send you a code and you read the code out to the person. They're like, thank you very much. We're securing your account now. No, it's a scammer. They've already tried to access your account. You've got in multi-factor authentication. And in order to do that, it sends a code to your phone. And so what Hmm. they did is they tried to access it. They said, oops, we're sending a code. So they call you. So you give them the code. So don't ever, ever, ever give out your password or your code to anyone over the phone. A legitimate company will never ask. And if you think you're being scammed or a company is asking, hang up and call the number that you have for that company. Don't call the number they text you. They send you a message. Don't call that number. Go to the back of your credit card or go to your account, look up the company online and call that number and tell them you just got a call from someone asking for verification of your account and you want to see if it was them.
0: So step one, make sure if they have the option Multi- multi-factor. multi-factor
1: authentication. Authentica-
0: authentication. Thank yes. You. What about passwords? Should I be concerned?
1: <laughs> yes. So everybody knows there's this requirement in passwords. Usually your employer does it, not your personal accounts, to where you have to change it every 90 days. And you have to have a capital letter and you have to have a lowercase letter and you have to have a symbol and you have to have a number. Well, In order to change it every nine days, you start forgetting it. And you start using the same password across multiple accounts. I mean, how many people actually have different account uh, passwords for their email versus their bank accounts versus their credit cards? (sighs) We'd never remember. Right. The guy that came up with that standard came out in 2019 and publicly apologized. When they (laughs) created the standard to change your password every 90 days, there was nothing to go on. They were literally just making it up out of the blue. It doesn't work. It's not effective. What it does is it creates that people don't remember their password, so they write them down. Or they use variations of the same password. So if I was to tell you you needed to change your password and it has to have numbers, you probably end in a 1 or a one, one, or a 100. So when I tell you to change it, you probably change that to a 22 two, or a 200. And if I tell you to put a symbol in it, you probably put an exclamation point at the end. And if I tell you to capitalize it, you probably capitalize the first word or the first letter. So hackers know these things. And so if they ever get your password on one account, they go to all the common credit card companies and banks, and they start plugging your password in and variations of your password, changing the number, changing the first letter, adding an exclamation point or a parenthesis. Yeah. And they just brute force attack them. So the best thing to actually do for passwords is, one, you can use a password manager, which is an account that keeps them all. But, yes, they've been hacked.
0: Yeah, that's what I, can- I thats what I has been concerned about because I'm one of these guys ever since my hack, especially, I have lots of different passwords.
1: <laughs> I, yes. I
0: did not like that experience. No. And I didn't want to have it ever repeated. So... I don't repeat my passwords to my knowledge, right? To your knowledge, right? (laughs) I'm not a very creative guy. I probably have. But then I got a password keeper. Right. And
1: And they uh, say the best thing to do is to use four random words. That's what I've heard lately. It's just pick four random words and string them together. And that takes a long time for hackers to hack than anything else. mm. Now, you got to remember those four random words. Yeah. Now, another hint is to use a favorite uh, quote or a favorite song or a favorite poem or something that you like and turn that into something to do with a password that would be very hard or something that really is very unique to you, that what did you have on your first date with your significant other to eat? Hmm. You know, so something along that line. But the thing is, they're all I don't tricks. think that one
0: would work because everyone would choose tacos. <laughs> Right. I mean, right. that's a great first aid food.
1: That's a great first aid food. Last
0: aid food, too, as well. I mean, if it's going <laughs> bad, at least the tacos. And
1: have a taco. Exactly. <laughs> right. It is. But, but that's the thing. It's almost impossible to keep track of this. And so you really just have to use common sense and, uh, you have to be aware enough to protect yourself. Uh, another thing that people, they, they may be aware of now is when you're downloading an app to your phone and you look at the permissions the app is asking for, like, accessing your photos, accessing your contacts. They want to access your email and you go through it and you're like, nope, nope. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And you pick it and you install the app. Well, but you might have your phone set to automatically update apps because apps literally can update 12, 15 times a day based on what they're changing. When they update it, they tend to add an average of a hundred different permissions, some of which you may have already said no to. And you never know because you set it to automatically update. Now, does that mean you really want to have to go in and authenticate your apps to update every 15 times a day? No, it gets incredibly disturbing. But on the other hand, you playing a game, um, I don't know, Jenga, on your phone, and it wants to access your contacts, your pictures, your emails, your correspondence, your downloaded files, where do you stop? You don't know.
0: Yeah, and those types of apps that are that aggressive, tempt typically leave your phone exposed to hackers as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And who of us doesn't have our entire life on a phone? Oh. I mean, seriously, that was the basis of one of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision is that phones used to be communication devices. Now they are life devices. And so the police being able to access someone's phone is very much a violation of privacy. And there is a controversy out there as to whether or not giving the password to your phone is considered um, against the amendment to where you have the right not to implicate yourself. And so right. if you give your password, um, are you giving them the, your access to the phone to be able to find out all kinds of information about you? Absolutely. But if you lock it with a fingerprint or face identification, some courts have held that that's not protected information because your fingerprints and your face are publicly available. And so if you lock it with a fingerprint or a face print, the police can force you to unlock it because that's not information private to you that would implicate yourself in a crime.
0: Wow, I want to talk about. <laughs> I mean, the thought of that, right? I mean, it it, it just yeah. seems like legal mumbo jumbo to me. It I does. Mean, this is the t- that's a type of analysis that infuriates the average person. Yes, my phone is my phone.
1: Exactly. That's
0: my papers. That is my. That's. I do not. Those are my children. That's my
1: family. That's, that's my, my personal life. Exactly. Whether
0: I use my face to unlock my phone or my fingerprint. Or a passcode.
1: It's my phone.
0: It's my phone. So that's the frustrating thing people experience because really, that's legal mumbo jumbo. It really is. It doesn't really it doesn't it, it's not practical in, in the real world that's right that's the lawyer lawyer and judge fantasy land
1: well and that's the controversy that came up a few years ago when the federal government wanted a backdoor into the apple devices and apple was refusing to give them the way in now you probably could have given it to a 10-year-old and they could have hacked it but the federal government wanted apple to give them a backdoor and apple refuses to do so And that's what we want companies to do is to refuse to cooperate with the government. But go back to this guy in child pornography. The government's really only looking for bad people, right? Yeah. So you think it has to be okay, but what if they think you're one of the bad people and you know you're not? How does that make it okay?
0: Yeah. uh, Yeah. We want the bad guys gone. We want it easy for the police to catch the bad guys. Unless we're the ones wrongly accused.
1: Exactly. And everybody is wrongly accused. Until <laughs> In a jury, their mind, yeah. <laughs> until a jury. Well, they are until a jury convicts them.
0: Right. I want to change pace a little bit. Talk about tracking. Okay. So I had an experience Uh-oh. many years ago. I enjoy riding my bicycle, and I used to ride my bicycle to work frequently. And so I'm riding my bike And listening to music or my podcast, whatever it is. And as I'm going by big box store, boom, ad comes on. (laughs) Stop in at store and get your ex. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I should do that. So convenient. What a coincidence, I should say, that this happened. And this is several years ago before I realized what was happening. And then I goes by another store, you know, some other day, and same experience. All of us have had an experience where we're talking to friends about some sort of product. And yeah, let's it, talk
1: about cruising on Norwegian cruise lines to Alaska, and let's see which of us starts getting ads for Alaska and cruises now.
0: Right. Nuts, right? And then we start to get these ads, or we send an email to a friend, and suddenly I'm getting ads about what's in the contents of my email.
1: Which sometimes is helpful. I bought my house that way. (laughs) I I was looking for rental houses or apartments for my daughter, and I started getting ads for houses for sale, and I loved it. So I bought a house.
0: Right. But it's also a bit (laughs) creepy.
1: It is. Very much so.
0: What's going on? Why is this happening?
1: They are doing targeted behavioral advertising and location-based advertising. So they're doing two. So the one of the bicycle riding past a store or pulling up in a grocery store parking lot and you start getting coupons for certain products. It can even happen in the store where you're in the cereal aisle and you start getting um, ads for different types of cereal or coupons or whatever and you're paying attention to it. So that's location-based advertising. They're literally tracking you based on location And can they track you to an aisle in a store? Yes. Yes, they can.
0: Is that even legal?
1: Yes, it is legal. That's the crazy part. Yes, it is legal. Unless you turn off location-based tracking on your phone. And there's a lot of ways that they do that on your phone. So you'd have to be really savvy to know how to do it. Uh, The other is targeted behavioral advertising where they're tracking what you're doing online. Um, Are they listening to you? Yes. Is it paranoia? Yes. But it means it's true. Just because you're paranoid about it, or just because it sounds <laughs> far fetched, doesn't mean it's not happening. Right, right, Is right. it legal? Yes. I mean, your phone has um, has a, uh, a microphone and a speaker and a camera on it. And yes, they can watch what you're doing and they can listen to what you're doing. Um, is it legal? Yeah. Unless you tell them not to. Now, is it creepy? Yes.
0: So it's a lot creepy. It's
1: really creepy. Think of the case a few years ago, and I love Samsung, but the Samsung TVs were recording people.
0: Yeah, it's really nuts. your
1: TV is recording
0: yeah you know and I have a friend who does this type of advertising who will made nameless and <laughs> he helps other companies compile the data so yeah. they could do this target advertising uh, he takes precautions so he personally isn't tracked yeah and that, that's because he knows
1: what they do. Because it can be really invasive. The ability of companies to acquire data, sell data, combine data, rent it, lease it, whatever, even when they're under a government um, edict not to sell data, they'll lease it. I mean, that's not selling it. They lease it to other companies. And the way that they combine this data, they can literally target people on your street who are conservative versus liberal and serve different advertisements to them and different news stories to indicate or to convince them whether or not to go vote. And it does happen. I'm not being paranoid here. They will target people who are in certain areas, certain districts, and if they don't want you to go vote all day long, you will see news stories on how long the voting lines are, and it could very well be a lie. you
0: That's not Are you
1: personally going to go check the voting line to see if it's long or not? Are you going to read it and be like, oh, Lord, I don't want to stand in the rain for four hours? That's not listening. listen to this, so they convince you not to go vote.
0: Let me ask you, what... Our privacy advocates, what are they really, if they could get their Christmas list. Right. Top two Christmas Christmas gifts, okay? What do
1: they we want? They can go to
0: Congress. They can go to their state legislatures. They can get what they want. What are they going to get?
1: Uh, in the United States, we want a federal omnibus law, which means we want a federal privacy law. We don't have one. We have okay. HIPAA for health care and FERPA for education. We don't have a federal one. Now that we have Kamala Harris as the incoming vice president, very strong privacy advocate, we might get one. So that's the first thing would be on my Christmas list is a federal uh, law for privacy here in the What 80s. would it do? It would, I would like it to be very strong. HIPAA is actually a very strong law in its sector. So I would like it to, one, give people rights over their information, but I would like it to also, two, go further and govern what companies are allowed to do with data. Now here in the U.S., we believe in enterprise and commerce and getting all the money you can as a business. So businesses are going to fight that left and right. Trust me, they really are. Uh, data is the the biggest commerce at all.
0: So you get that, yes, okay, and and it limits data. And then what would be the result? I mean, if you could if you could get what you wanted out of that omnibus law, right? What would I benefit, average person?
1: Average person would have rights. You'd be able to find out what a company has on you and what they do with it, and you'd be able to stop them. So consumer rights is huge. California's already acting on that. Second, there would be penalties for breaches, even if you can't prove that you've been harmed. Another thing that California just put into law as well. Uh, Third, I'd want an agency that actually oversees it, because if you think of a dedicated agency that oversees privacy law, you might actually see a lot more attention paid to privacy, because people and companies would be punished for doing something something with other people's data that they shouldn't be doing. So that would be big. The second thing that I would ask for, because the first one's big, but the second thing, I would want somehow, some way to create a way for people to understand the privacy implications of the activities they're engaged in. Nobody reads privacy notices. Nobody. I write beautiful ones, gorgeous privacy notices. They're fantastic. (laughs) Nobody reads them. Uh, So I would want there to somehow be some way for people to actually understand the implications of the activities they're in, the apps they're downloading, the websites that they're using, the products that they're buying. So when they buy a router, they actually change the manufacturer's password on that router that's publicly available. And right. he, all, this all people have to do is find out what router you have and get into your system. So,
0: yeah, that's, that's, that's a scary uh, yeah. proposition. So
1: somehow I want magically people to understand privacy.
0: I want to ask you one last question. Change gears significantly. We've talked about mostly consumer perspective. What about the business perspective? I mean, should I be worried as a business about protecting other people's privacies?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because you protect your assets. And data is one of the biggest assets available, period. And so if you're not protecting your biggest assets, then you're going to lose the value for them. We see a lot of startup companies that don't understand managing personal data. And the reason I put it that way is because privacy is a scary term. But if mm-hmm. you say managing personal data, then companies like, oh, we have all kinds of personal data, even if they don't understand it fully. Startup companies don't put in often the right rules to manage personal data. And there are rules even now. And so when they go to sell themselves or get bought, they devalue themselves because half of what they're doing is illegal. They either collected the data wrong or they used it wrong or they shared it wrong. And so for a company, you absolutely should understand what laws apply to the data you do have. And then take an ethics view. What should you be doing? Just because you can do something in engineering, should you be doing it? And think about if it was your data or your child's data, what would you be doing with that data? We see a lot of company CEOs that protect themselves. Uh, Zuckerberg has a famous picture where his own laptop has the microphone and the camera covered up. I don't understand why he didn't buy a laptop without them if he was concerned, (laughs) but there you go. But uh, if they're concerned about it for their own selves, why are they allowing their companies to do it to other people?
0: Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. You know... Law firms are worried about it. They should be. Um, they're worried about getting hacked because the, the information we have about people Very is... Rich. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it, yeah.
1: It's fantastic. And not only that, it's competitive information. So not only do you have a risk of people, you have a risk of companies because competitors can hack you to get information on the companies you're managing. And that happens all the time.
0: Absolutely. I, I imagine if if a company with data like ours would get hacked... Then they would f- possibly incur third-party liability, yeah. you know, to the person whose data was exposed.
1: But they'd have to come back and prove that it was related to that in order to get anything here in the United States or just about anywhere.
0: Yeah, we, and like, cause and
1: effect—you have to prove it.
0: Yeah. It, Say that one more time, because this is very important.
1: <laughs> Cause and effect. You have to prove that when you're harmed, you have to be able to track it back exactly to what it was that caused the harm. And we've all been in data breaches. Go to a website called com. Now, pwned is spelled P-W-N. I don't know if there's an E-D or D. Uh, but com. Just Google those words, and you can put in your email address or your password, and see if you've been part of a breach. Now, I've never met a single person who hasn't found themselves on that somewhere, somehow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to what I was saying, that I know that I've been involved in multiple breaches. Yeah. And everyone I know probably has, too.
1: Yes. I mean, Equifax was breached. We've all been subject to it.
0: Kay, thank you for coming on.
1: <laughs> You're welcome. Thank I you. I mean, this
0: was very enlightening. And scary? A, a little scary, Yeah. It, it's something that we need to take seriously. I think we need to all get together and have real conversations with our representatives about what can be done. Absolutely. And we saw we saw that there's been some attempt at this, but really it's been pretty weak. And yes, I think the big issue is we got to educate our, our, our legislatures.
1: Absolutely, agree.
0: Thank you for coming on once again. It's been really awesome to have you here.
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me.
0: Folks, thank you for listening. This has been the podcast, Is That Even Legal? A discussion of what's legal. Just as a reminder, this is not legal advice for you. This is general information. It's meant to be educational. If you have specific legal needs, don't be afraid to reach out to an attorney to get good legal advice. Attorneys are lovable. They're fun. They want to hear from you. See you next time.